right, good morning, good morning to all of you who are online, those at home, in your car, wherever you're going, and to those who are here with us in person. Welcome to the Brook Church. Um, right before we start the singing of God's word, let's just center our hearts and pray for one another by saying our call to worship together. Please stand. To all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who struggle and desire victory, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who are strangers and want fellowship, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever will come, this church opens wide her doors and offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, amen. Yeah. They say, pardoned by our King, we are free, we are free. Full of hope and nothing, we are free, we are free. Eyes one see, glory to, glory to our King. Hallelujah, glory to, glory to our King. We say, pardoned by our King, we are free, we are free. Full of hope and nothing, we are free, we are free. As one sing, glory to, glory to our King. Hallelujah, glory to, glory to our King. That's why I say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come give me that love, you don't that Jesus type of love. Come give me that. Come give me that love, you don't that Jesus type of love. Come give me that. Come give me that love, you don't that Jesus type of love. Come give me that love, don't so we can show the world.
Let's sing all together. Unite our hearts. Pardoned by our King, we are free. We are free. Full of hope. Full of hope for nothing. We are free. We are free. As one. As one sing. Glory to. Glory to our King. Hallelujah. Glory to. Glory to our King. Amen. Amen. Greet someone this morning, whether it's a wave, a high five from afar, elbows. Greet someone this morning. Our family, greet one another. And if you are a guest, also um, please greet our guest. And we all need reminders for those that are in Jesus, for those who are seeking, who are hurting, that he is mighty to save and to bring us back to that truth and to bring us back to that truth. If you're at home, Greet one another, even if you're in the same space. We need to be reminded. He's good. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs compassion, like love that's never failing. That mercy fall on me. And everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior. Yeah. The hope of nations. All together, let's sing it out. One voice, Savior. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Other of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave, conquered the grave. So take me as you find me, all my fears and failures. Yeah. Fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Yeah. Now I surrender, God, we surrender. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. And conquer the grave, Jesus. Let's sing that again, Savior. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave, yeah. Oh, yes. For your glory, Lord. All together, Matthew 5, shine your light real loud. Shine your light and let the whole world see, yeah. For the glory of the risen King, shine your light. Shine and hide it, let the whole world see. For your glory, Lord, for the glory of the risen King. Shine your light, 
shine lighting and let the whole world see for your glory of the risen King shine your light shine hiding let the whole world see for the glory of the risen King Savior Savior he can move the mountains my God is mighty to save he is mighty to save forever author of salvation he rose and conquered the grave jesus conquered the grave amen 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 that is our god mighty to save us mighty to keep us well, welcome, welcome again to the Brook Church. We're so glad to gather again. Thank you um, to all who are tuning in virtually, all of our family and guests there as well. We exist to grow a people from all people, passionate for God. You know what? Let's repeat that together. Ready? You at home too. We exist to grow a people from all people, passionate for God. Wonderful. So if you're family, now you know it. And if you're guests, I'm sure you won't forget it. That is why we're here. We believe that the gospel changes people and people really can change the world for his glory. So just a few announcements and reminders for some of our family as well. If you are in the building, bathrooms in the back, there is Canvas available. That's our children's ministry where we share the truth of God with our kids. So they are exposed to it at a very early age. So if you know anyone coming next week, Remind them it's at 11 uh, o'clock only. And um, if you have kids now, six months and up, you are welcome um, to go to that as well. If you are online and you are our first time guest, please uh, check out the chat. There's someone there available sending you information for that. And then if you are in the building and it is your very first time, there is a QR code. Um, for those that don't know what that is, you pull up your camera and it's a little square kind of scan code in our foyer and you scan it and all of the information about our church as well as um, a, a little form we'd ask you to fill out so we can learn about you is in that. If you uh, would like to use that for you to find resources for those who are family and regular attendees, you can. Or you can open up the version app, the little Holy Bible app, and in there you will find what um, old school church may call the bulletin or the programs. <laughs> Be able to see what's happening here in the life of the church as a whole, as well as our gathering. There's also important announcements that are in there as well. So two big ones I want to highlight is one, we have a members meeting via Zoom for all of the meetings, um, for all of the members, excuse me, uh, at 5 p.m. today. It's our family meeting. So you will receive that email if you are a member at 4:45 p.m. so be on the lookout for that to have a chat as a family the second thing is our marriage retreat um, that is coming up so if you are married one day to 30 years whatever it is we'd love for you to pre-register and you can get that by um, downloading our newsletter so this whole section of me sharing all this with you isn't just because it's fun and we just need to tell you things this is a part of us connecting together and we connect together to further the beauty of the gospel in our lives so that it can be seen by those who are looking. So take all of this information as a part of connecting us further to worship our King. As we continue, we're going to transition to a time of reading the scripture. It will be in Colossians chapter 3, 
verses 5 through 10. If you do not have a Bible, it will be on the screen. Again, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10. serenity and I'm here to read you the passage put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire and covetousness covetousness which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of God is coming in these you too once walked when you were living in them but now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Let's um, pray together for our kingdom prayer. We'll be praying for families, both families that are growing up now and the families that you are from. So Father God, we um, come to you. September is underway or coming. It's knocking right at our door and August is finishing up. And the rhythms of family life for those families that may have young children or um, young adult children as well, we feel the change, the shift, the swiftness, Lord. So God, we lift up the time change, but Lord, more than that, we lift up what you are doing and what you are instilling in not just the children, but also in um, the parents, God, the guardians. Maybe there's aunts and uncles and grandmothers who are loving on children and rearing them up, Lord. So God, we just pray for this season of, of change, but we also pray for what you are doing in the totality of these growing young families, Lord. God, we just pray for strength for the sleepless nights of moms of new infants and dads who are taking on the new responsibility of having children maybe five and under and what it means to to carry and to love a life, Lord. God, we lift up marriages, God, those who are married with children, God. I just pray for the marriages, that the health and the wholeness of those marriages would spill out into everything that comes from them, whether it's putting food on the table, how they talk to one another, how they rear their children, Lord, no matter the differences and backgrounds and all the things of where we come from. God, we just lift that up, all of the marriages, that you will show your love and your goodness through that. And God, we don't ignore that every person in this room, even as adults, we come from families. We have a story of origin, Lord, whether we're adopted, foster, um, blended, whatever the case, whatever story that we have, God, in knowing you, there is a place that we come from on this earth, Lord. So we ask that you will strengthen even the bonds of families that have changed where we're now adults. I ask that God, that you will give peace that you will give healing to relationships, even um, as we're entering into whatever age and stage or decade of life, God, that you will do that. Whatever work that you're doing in uncles and aunties, um, families that are all across the nation in the world, God, that we would um, just look for you, that you would strengthen us for those that don't know you in our family, those who are seeking you, and then of course, always the family moments where it's just difficult. So God, you made family. It was your idea, your design, your 
your whole thing. And we're asking you to bring peace, healing, strength, and reconciliation to the new growing families and to the families where we come from. And God, to the family that you've made in you. So we're asking this, God. This is our kingdom prayer. That your glory would shine. Your design would be so apparent. They could look upon what you've done, how you've restored and built, and say, wow, your God is powerful. Your God is wonderful. Your God is beautiful. So, Lord, may we be instruments of knowing you more and for your glory. We ask this, God, as a family. We ask our Father for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Cuán hermoso su nombre es, cuán hermoso su nombre es, el nombre de Jesús, mire. Cuán hermoso su nombre es, nada se igual a él. Cuán hermoso su nombre es, no hay otro nombre. Cuán hermoso su nombre es, cuán hermoso su nombre es, el nombre de Jesús, mire. Cuán hermoso su nombre es, nada se igual a él. Cuán hermoso su nombre es, no hay otro nombre. You are the word of the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ our King. What a beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. You didn't walk on heaven without us. Jesus, you who walk on heaven My sin was great and your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name.
love this. This is our God. This describes him each word. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. Death could, death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring with the praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. You have the sing. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you remain. Yours is the key. Yours is the glory. Yours is the How beautiful you are, how wonderful. 
Father, we will stand here and sing of truth. Sing of truth that may be very far outside of ourselves right now. It may be hard to call you those things because of how tall bills are standing in our life or how tall strife and anger and malice is standing in our life or sin or struggles or fear or sickness or pain or whatever or just anticipation where we're just like, okay, we're waiting. Whatever's standing tall, God, we're standing still and saying that you are beautiful. You are wonderful. You are powerful and you have not stopped moving. And you see whatever's standing tall right now, but God, may your grace loom over it. May your peace loom over it. May your strength just completely overtake us. We need it in ways we can't express. Even those who are rejoicing uncontrollably right now, we still need and want you, God. And where we don't want you, we are trusting that you will cultivate the desire. You are great. You are good. You restore. You give hope. You give us what we need. So we will declare your truth and trust you to do the work. Whether we're at home on the couch, in our car, or right here in this room. Let your greatness stand tall. Your breath yeah. in our lungs, so 
Just voices, it's your breath. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we Father, we're here. Accept our worship. Meet us where our hearts are and where they are not. Be it in this room or across the United States and the world. 
for you are great. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, stretch. Reach for the stars. Today, maybe, baby, you're an astronaut. No room for margin. My fears are starving. The saints still marching. I am the harvest. God got flowers for me. God got flowers for me. God got flowers in me that never met a vase. Just rose in the shades. You can lay inside your faith. This kind never fades enough. I feel love surrounding me. And your spirit guiding me. Just breathe and pray. There's grace for the day. So I guess. morning. Let's get it. Um, If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Meet me in uh, the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. Honored that we can connect together in this moment um, and in this way. Man, um, yeah. And if you're joining us online, we're we're honored that you would give of your your time. Uh, This this is meaningful. This matters. Last week, uh, we gave this illustration that we would essentially um, be aided if we assumed that our journey through Colossians was like uh, flying in an airplane, right? And so you have to take off, you kind of get to cruise, and as you're cruising, it's kind of like the same scenery regularly, you know, um, and then you, then you, you hit a pilot, he comes on, he's like, yo, we've begun our initial descent, and then you land, so put your trade tables up, you know, put your seatbelt on, take your phone, put it back on airplane mode, even though you left it off the whole time, you know, if you're me particularly. And so, and we said that's kind of been our time through Colossians. It's like we've been, we've been at this for a very long time. Um, and we're like, man, now we're now in that initial descent. And, and, and the plan was, you know, another eight weeks or so descending, but just through, pa- like, pastoral conversations, listening, um, us praying as pastors, we, we decided, man, that descent isn't going to be eighth weeks. Um, it would be an understatement to um, talk about how much is actually going on in the life of our church and the life of people everywhere in our current cultural moment. It is a lot. It is both a delicate, fragile, yet opportunistic season for so many people. And, and what we, we said pastorally as we were just kind of processing was, man, especially as we just felt the spirit leading, it, it just made more sense to utilize the weight of Sundays to speak to what's happening specifically in the moment we find ourselves in as a church, at a moment we find ourselves in as a people 
in Miami and in the world. And so we're, we're going to do that. So instead of taking the next eight weeks or so to land, really it's going to be about two um, or three at best. Um, and then we're going to press into some things that we feel burdened to talk about and deal with in a very direct way on Sunday, specifically things that have to deal with our community life. Now, we're still going to finish up Colossians. We're just going to take that to Thursday evenings through Zoom. I cannot stress, I, I, wish, <laughs> I cannot stress how much this season has affected our community life as a church. Who we are as a church is not events on Sunday, y'all. This is meaningful, all right? Like to encounter God collectively, God uses this moment to stir and, and shape us and move us. I love it. First of all, I know, I'm, look, and I'm primary communicator. I'm not the greatest communicator there is. I'm not saying I'm a slouch or anything, but I'm not, I know, like, and so we cannot survive off of that. It is not merely the preaching of the word. It is the people of God together in real time that does something to us. And we have suffered significantly as a church, particularly over this season. And I'm, we just need to, we need to lean into that in a unique way. And so I'm very excited about that. But for today, we are back in Colossians, the first five verses that were read um, by that beautiful, amazing young lady with gold locks. Um, that would be my daughter. I don't know if y'all here when she read that, but you know, I just wanted to shout her out. Um, and last week, the aim was to reframe how we understand these calls to action generally. Every single call to action that we heard read, every single call to action that is in the scriptures is not behavior modification. It is not God saying, I need you to add stuff to your life. It is God trying to press people into a particular identity, i.e., the way that we reframe how we're meant to understand these calls to actions where with that phrase, you'll grow into it. And so God calls us to grow into the life he has for us. That was last week, but today we're going to deal with some of the particulars that are present here and how they function in our lives and how we might find freedom from them. There are specific calls to actions. There are lists that are given that are not exhaustive. Rather, they're examples of things that we're supposed to move away from and things that we're supposed to move towards. And so we're going to deal with some of the particulars today so that we could experience life as God would have for us. And so the flow of our time, I think, would be helpful if we understand it in really three sections. The first is to just give some key ideas that really do shape how we're supposed to act. Key ideas that just shape these call to actions. We're going to look at some of the particulars that Paul has drawn our attention to, and then we'll close with a perspective and a practice that assists us in a fight for life and freedom. And so that will be the flow of our time some key ideas that create awareness. We'll look at some of the particulars and the perspectives and practices that assist us in our fight for life and freedom. Let's read it straight through it and take it bit by bit. Y'all tracking with me? Yes. Solo? Thank you. Thank you. Ooh, that's... Let me tell you something about walking up here. It's always an adventure. You could lose your life. Verse 5 uh, reads like this. Put to death, therefore... 
What is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Limited time and a lot to get through, so let's take it bit by bit. Yeah, like, again, this is... Paul, God through Paul, inviting people to experience what the scriptures call life, the life that truly is. Psalm 72 paints this picture of a worthy king and a worthwhile kingdom, and we we looked at it in April, and we're like, that's what we're after. Every single heart everywhere longs for the descriptions that God actually lays out in his text. And so what he is working through here in Colossians is an invitation to experience life. It's not merely this call to clean up certain things around us. It is this, this, this plea to experience life. The life that God calls us to experience, he invites us to experience, is a life we truly want. Furthermore, this is written to Christians to people who have said they've taken hold of said life, and it defines them, it describes them, it drives them. They're different. And so these calls to action are not merely add something extra to your pre-existing life. This is rooted in this idea of identity and lifestyle. It is the difference between dieting and lifestyle, and we know that difference well, particularly in Miami, where we have weird images and weird standards of what body health looks like. Nevertheless, we know the difference between diets and lifestyles. With diets, you just try something for particular seasons, right? And then when you're out of that season, it's back to wherever you are. That's why January comes around, it's like, ah, here we go again. Versus lifestyle, you're saying, no, there's, there's some core things that I'm changing about me, about my life, that show up regardless of what season I'm in. Paul is not merely saying, just add stuff to your pre-existing life. Paul is saying, I want you to exist in a new way. I want you to experience a new lifestyle. And in this lifestyle, let me tell you some things that you should do that would allow you to experience the life that truly is put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. Put them away. Pursue these new things rooted in life. Now, to understand these calls to action, I think there's some key ideas that create awareness. Action before awareness will always be hit or miss. And so, let me just work through 
a few of these key ideas. Colossians 1-2 actually to me gives us the first one. Colossians 1-2 says this, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, understatement of the world, right? He is, again, like reorienting our understanding of the audience of his letter. The audience is Christians, but it's not just individual Christians. It's the church. It's the church. Think about the practical implications of that. Think about the practical implications of the society that they grew in, that not everybody had a Bible like we do, or the app that you could just scroll on, right? And so they would read this letter out to everybody. They would all gather together. And then the, the leaders in the church would read this letter for Paul. This is God's words to us. And so now we're reading it out loud. By the way, this is why we do scripture reading. It's so that we don't just hear the word preached, but we heard, hear the word read among us. Now, when you have the word read among you, you know what takes place? You immediately say, wait a second. He's not just talking to me. He's talking to us. So when he says, put this away, put this away, when he says, this is a lifestyle, he's not merely talking about individuals. This should describe us. He's getting at the power and the nature of community. We know community is powerful. Some of the best decisions and worst decisions in our life can be traced back to the people that we surround ourselves with. Community is powerful, and it's also the thing that should keep us on guard because some of the worst decisions in life can be traced back to the people we surround ourselves with, right? I can't tell you how many things I've done. College was wild, fam. But when you're running with the crowd, you're like, oh, yeah, cool, what's up? Of course it makes sense to fill these water balloons with water, freeze them, and then throw them at people. That's a great idea. Then you realize that, man, I feel like that's assault. But when you're 17 and surrounded by, that was my college experience. Amen. Community is a garden. Here's the idea. Community is a garden, yeah. And it's worth being nurtured. When you tend a garden, it grows. You neglect the garden, weeds grow and it dies. God has surrounded us with community. And it's powerful. And we should be on guard but it's a garden that we should tend. These lifestyle calls to action would exist well in the context of community. Furthermore, if these are rooted in a communal context, we know you can't have growing intimacy with Jesus while having superficial relationships with others. Next idea that shapes this. It's this idea, this concept of social context. Social context. Now, social context refers to the environment that we exist in. It's an environment that is rooted in our historical, cultural location. The historical, cultural location that creates our social context essentially says this, that we were born at a particular moment in time among a particular people in time at a particular place in time. We all have a social context. Now, we have to understand the extent to which our social context shapes everything about us. It shapes how we experience life. It shapes how we see particular things. 
Now, here's why that matters. It could be helpful or it could be harmful because your social context affects how you perceive sin. So let me give you an example. If you grew up in a Western social context, you know what your eyes and your ears are immediately tuned to? Oh, sexual morality. Flee that in purity of all, all forms. And that's not bad. That's not bad. But you know what's bothersome? Is that we have people, fans, we have people who we can articulate all of the dynamics of sexual immorality. The word there is porneia, where we get porn, and we could talk about how it rewires our brain, it rewires our capacity for intimacy, it causes us to objectify particular people and reduce humanity to body parts, and that's wrong and wicked, and we could write dissertations on that, yet sanitize free market capitalism and corporate greed. And then we'll say, oh, but you know what? Ah, we'll always have the poor among us. What? Social context. Social context shapes how we experience life, how we see things, and particularly how we perceive sin. Social context. And for, for some of us, Generation Z millennials, our social context allows us to be more culturally agile. So we're fluid and we're flexible and we're able to maneuver differently. But in that maneuvering differently, in that flexibility, and that fluidity, what ends up happening is we'll say things aren't sin that actually are social contexts. And so our eyes may gravitate to one aspect of this list than the others. And we just have to be honest with the bias and be open to the blind spots that social context creates. Flowing right out of that, another idea is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the state of being arising from the belief that you're totally correct or morally superior. Self-righteousness is the result of distorting or replacing God's standard with your own. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness will have us believe that that first list, sexual immorality, impurity, isn't equal to the last list, wrath, anger, malice, slander. Self-righteousness creates this illusion that we have a high view of sin. That is not the case. In fact, what I have seen is self-righteous people often have a low view of sin. To believe that there's a standard that you can meet regularly, consistently, perfectly, is to have a low view of sin. Man, I had a mentor in my life, Stephen Moore. 
K-A-A, you know, you know. Three. Now, Stephen Moore, he used to say this to me. He said, Moochie, sin will always take you further than you're willing to go. It will keep you longer than you're willing to stay. And it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. That is sin. It will take you further than you're willing to go. It'll keep you longer than you're willing to stay. And it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. Moochie, when you leave your foot in the door of compromise, you have to consider yourself a candidate for the worst likely scenario because you cannot control sin. And if the door is open, it will do what it wants. It's stronger than you. Self-righteous people, if we actually believe we could master sin in that way, we have a low view of it. It is deceitful. It is a monster. It took the Son of God dying to defeat it. Self-righteousness is a reflection of how we see ourselves and others, but it's not just a reflection of how we see ourselves and others. It's a reflection of how we see God and understand Sin, self-righteousness will turn this list into a rules, a list of do's and don'ts, boxes to check, and you'll feel good, but you'll be far away from God. Self-righteousness is a monster. Keep that in our minds Last framing idea, it's verse five. Put to death, therefore, put to death, therefore, imperative, command, not suggestion. You know how we ask people to do stuff, but it's really manipulative. It's like more like suggestions. God doesn't operate in that way. He's very explicit. Go do. Straight face. All right. Put to death. It's imperative. And so what, what, that, what, that, what that means for us what I, what I feel like I just want us to just, just grapple with is it is a call to obedience. And you know what we are fully aware of, but we wrestle with still? We wrestle with feeling before action. But here's the thing. Feelings are not a prerequisite for obedience. Feelings are not a prerequisite for obedience. God calls us to do certain things because he honestly wants us to experience something beautiful and good. Repeat after me. There's discovery in the doing. Oh my God, we're going to try that all. There's discovery in the doing. Way better. And you could type that out in the chat online. John 7, 7 reads like this. My teaching is not mine. This is Jesus talking. But his who sent me, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Do you see what he did there? He's like, you want to know if what I'm saying is true, beautiful, noble, and good? Do it. <laughs> You do it, and you'll discover if I'm truthful or I'm a liar. When we allow obedience to drive us, not because we're trying to accomplish a standard independent of God, rather because we're living out of faith, which shows up as obedience. When we allow obedience to drive us, God draws us deeper into feelings, he draws us deeper into discovery of truth. There's discovery in the doing. 
And if you're a parent, you know that to be true. Man, the conversations we have over dinner, I don't like that. You haven't ever tried it. Like, how are you going to tell me you don't like lamb when you've never tasted it? Come on. Noah, get a fork, get this chimchurri, because you like chimchurri, and let's get to work. And he's like, oh, man, this lamb is amazing. It is, as I said, you're welcome, right? There's discovery in the doing. He is trying to drive us to experience something beautiful. Would that sit on us? Now let's move to some of the particulars before we move to a perspective and a practice. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. But you now must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Put it all away. Here's the thing, guys. All of these things that have been described are attitudes of the heart before their actions with our hands. They live beneath the surface. Sexual morality and purity, that's not just something that happens on the outside. That's a reflection of something that's going on on the inside. Anger, malice, slander, that's not just the weaponizing of words. It is the weaponizing of wickedness and perspectives in our hearts with our words. And so everything that he is drawing our attention to is rooted in our hearts, which means to put them away is to examine the heart. It's to examine what's going on beneath the surface that will show up in a myriad of ways. Every single issue is an expression of our heart. And hear me, I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how clever you are. You are incapable at outrunning or outsmarting your heart. I am incapable of outrunning or outsmarting my heart. My heart tells the truth about me that I really wish no one else would discover. These are issues of the heart. But let's look at one of the particulars. The one that jumps out to me is the one that we have sanitized because of our social context. Covetousness. Covetousness. Covetousness isn't just desire. It's not just about the desires. It's about how desires operate. It is wants out of control or out of order. That's covetousness. Covetousness turns our cravings into cages. And so our desires, what we, what we want, our, our affections end up becoming addictions. It's a cage. It's a prison. It traps us. Covetousness is the enemy of contentment. So instead of being able to rest and live out of the space that things are okay, we're unstable. Covetousness loosens our grip on God and tightens our grip on things. Covetousness is at the core of American Christianity. 
because it's at the core of the American dream. Covetousness is a monster. And when Jesus is addressing it, he says, be aware, be alert, be on guard on all forms of covetousness because it's not just in the monetary space. I want to be in this social economic bracket, whatever. It's in the relational space. I want what they have. Furthermore, what covetous does is it rewires how we understand God. Man, I was reading Luke 11 this morning just devotionally, and in Luke 11, man, we're, we may be familiar with it, but after Jesus uh, teaches the disciples how to pray, and he, he just goes on to say, man, we have not because we ask not, and then he talks about how what father among you, if your son comes and asks you for bread or fish, you're going to give him a stone or a serpent? He's like, you're not even going to do that. And then he goes to say, well, if you're wicked and you know how to give good gifts, how much more does your father in heaven, who isn't wicked, know how to give good gifts? But covetousness will rewire how we see God. We will stop seeing God as kind, gracious, generous, and good. And we will see him as a miser. We'll see God as Scrooge McDuff. Y'all know who Scrooge McDuck is? That, am I telling on myself as a geriatric millennial? Y'all know who Scrooge McDuck is? Darkwing Duck? That whole era was a fire. You know what I'm saying? But Scrooge McDuck, he would hold on to its coins. And well, that's how God is. God holds on to stuff. God doesn't want me to experience a life of plenty. God wants me begging. God wants me scraping. Do you know, guys, listen, the baseline of human existence is not survival. We're aware of this. Like, God didn't say, hey, I, I created you just so you could survive. Now, you live the rest of your life grateful that you're surviving. The scriptures have a more excellent view of humanity, and Christianity has a more excellent offer on the table. But covetousness rewires all of that. Man, I was just praying and processing this week, man, and, and man, just what I felt the Lord sharing with me that I, I want to share with us. Sometimes what God keeps from us is better than what he brings our way. And sometimes what God keeps us from is better than what he brings our way. Listen, we got kids, as you know, so we watch a lot of Disney. Honestly, I watch Disney without kids. Have y'all seen Incredibles? Great movie. Baby Jack Jack, Incredible One. You remember when he, when he was being babysitted and there was a lot of stuff happening and he was just oblivious to it? He's just laughing. Ah! And this babysitter is coming and protecting him and keeping him from experiencing all of this tension and difficulty and harm. That is how God operates with us more times than we realize. That God looks at our life and he sees where we would go. And instead of allowing us to go there, he protects us and he keeps us. And sometimes what he keeps us from is better than what he brings our way. And I know that's hard to hear. Because covetous causes us to look at what we have instead of trusting God and saying, what I have 
and what I don't have are both good because they come from you. More particulars here. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Here's what I've seen. We have moved past the lie that we learned when we were children. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. We know that's false. Lie from the pit of hell. Words hurt. Sometimes they, were, they hurt more than bones, like being broken, a crushed soul from wicked words. Words hurt. Words hurt. And understanding that is key to that latter part, obscene talk. Obscene talk is not four-letter words, which is often how we like to think of it. Don't say this word, don't say that word, don't say this word. Even if you say it in another language, God knows all languages, so you can't say that in Spanish and think that you're safe. Like, you know, like, and so that's what we do. I'm Nigerian, third culture kid. My parents are born and raised in Nigeria. I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. I am light-skinned and still African. Those exist, I promise, all right? All the fights I grew up in were because of that. Amen. I learned Igbo growing up, that I lost it when I went to school. Any other third culture kid had that happen to him, where you learn Creole or Spanish, and then you went to high school, and you're like, anywho. <laughs> In Igbo, there's not a lot of four-letter words, but there are ways to make people feel less than. Nama. Osat. Ewu. Nama. It's a cow that just eats a lot and is good for nothing. Osat, it's a squirrel with a small pea-sized brain. Ewu, it's a goat without brains. The things I did in college, the stuff I said, I'd be like, I can't, that's a whole nother sermon. That'll come out later. Just remember these words for the callback in a few weeks. That's obscene talk. The words that you use to harm another individual. Furthermore, notice, notice the social dimensions of the secondary list. How we talk with people directly affects the community. And he's saying that the words that you use with one another, they shouldn't be rooted in wickedness. They should be rooted in the flourishing of another individual. Put away obscene talk. Don't lie to one another. Lying is hiding behind words. And hiding behind words is easy when the security and the relationship is in question. So we'll lie and we'll manipulate and we'll twist. But all that reveals is there's a heart full of fear. What this secondary list is teaching me is that when I feel wronged or I feel owed, I have an opportunity for something better. When I feel wronged or when I feel owed something, I have an opportunity for something better than just 
acting on my impulses. I have an opportunity to press into grace. I love this because he's not bashful. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against you, forgiving one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love. What he's doing is he is saying, put these things away, but put some things on. Put these practices to the side. They shouldn't describe you, define you, or drive you, but put some practices into play that should drive you, describe you, and define you. What he is teaching us is the core of repentance. That repentance isn't merely turning from, it's turning towards. This is Paul in Ephesians 4, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. It's not just stop doing certain things. It's pressed into beautiful, necessary, noble things. It's repentance. Repentance is the ongoing reality for every Christian everywhere. When I stop repenting, I stop believing the truth about who I am and who God is. This leads to a perspective, though. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we with all veiled, unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. The perspective that saturates all of this, the perspective that fuels right practice is believing that it is God's work to complete. The perspective is staring at the beauty of Jesus, yeah. Beholding him, we are being transformed. He's doing all the heavy lifting. Guys, nostalgia is a monster. Serenity's in middle school now, and so I'm doing things that I never thought I'd do, right? Like even this last week was first week of school. Uh, <laughs> I dropped her off. She caught herself. When I said, I love you, she said, okay. And so I just, I love you. And I just started screaming that out the window. I didn't know there was people around. She came, Dad, there's people here. I'm that dad, right? And I just, as she came back, and she's like, I love you, Dad. And she, you know, she kind of hugged me, and then she left. And then I thought about, you know, the 11 years of life to this point. And I was thinking about this one scene in, like, that we had together in Publix where Diamond was away, and when Diamond was away, this was before cooking was really restful for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was like a corn dog night. <laughs> so, like, I put them in this cart that looked like a car. Have you been to Publix with those green carts? And they have, like, the fire on the side. I'm like, how do y'all still? First of all, that was a long time ago. Why is this still here, you know? And so I put them in this car, and we're driving around, and I'm putting the corn dogs in, and it's actually her and Joel. And as I'm turning, she's trying to steer, and she's like, no, Dad, go this way. And I'm like, all right, yeah. And so I'm trying to, 
And she literally thinks that her little mini steering wheel is moving this cart. We really think that our actions are producing the life that we want. It is God's decisive, ongoing grace that moves anybody forward at any given moment in time. It is God's work to complete. And when we behold him, when we see him, he draws us into that truth that he's doing work independent of us and in partnership with us, but he's doing all of the heavy lifting. Praise God for that. And we behold him, and he drives into our hearts beliefs, deep beliefs that uproot beliefs behind wayward behaviors. Behind every behavior is an overarching belief. And when we start to behold God, he drives new beliefs into us. And so Tim Chester, uh, he, he identifies this in his book, You Can Change. He says, there's some beliefs about God that when we, when we grapple with, when we take hold of, we find legitimate freedom first. God is great, so we don't have to be in control. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. What you believe about God will show up in your everyday life. And when we behold him and we just stare, we say, okay, I see the God who was not arm twisted into loving me. He didn't make a mistake. He wasn't experiencing an off day where he was susceptible to being manipulated. But consciously and intentionally, he stared at me and he said, I will die for you. With unveiled face, we behold him, and we see a God who experienced holy, holy, holy for eternity, angels affirming the greatness of his name, king, yet for love's sake emptied himself and took on the form of a servant for people. We see a God who willingly became poor so that people could experience life. We see a God who stood up for the least of these. He who was without sin cast the first stone. And the only one capable of casting the stone was Jesus. But he said, don't worry about it. I'll die instead. We see a God who's just filled with love and care and concern. We get new beliefs. It's the perspective that leads to these practices in closing. Dallas Willard, um, he... um, He has this book, Renovation of the Heart. 
It's a great book. And he says that the greatest need of collective humanity is renovation of the heart. The spiritual place within us from which outlook, choices, and actions have been formed by a world away from God now must be transformed. They need to be formed through closeness. And then he creates this paradigm, these practices that everybody now has used in terms of pursuing that type of renovation, pursuing that type of transformation, pursuing that type of freedom. He says it starts with vision. Vision being a picture of the preferred future. What do we want? It moves to intention. Intention being decisions and declarations to act. But it doesn't stop with intention because we know good intentions are not strong enough to overcome bad habits. And good intentions are not a substitute for good habits. And so we go from intention to means, practices and tools that encourage transformation. But all of the practices and the tools, they're just gathering firewood across our heart because we know we can't force ourselves to be what we believe we need to at any given moment in time. All we do is we gather firewood and we say, God, light a match. God, burn deep within me. And we obediently and courageously and humbly and thoughtfully gather firewood. So every time you crack open your Bible, you are gathering firewood around your heart and you are believing God to ignite something powerful. And every time you pray, whether it's for two seconds or two hours, you are gathering firewood around your heart and you are believing God to do something necessary. And every time you show up on a Sunday or you tune in online, you are gathering firewood and you are saying, God, stir something in me that will not happen unless you move. And every single time you serve, you are gathering firewood. All we do is bring firewood to the table and say, God, would you breathe? And so the means, however they might show up, will always amount to firewood around the heart. God, help me. And you know what? God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps the humble. God helps the willing. God helps the honest. One of the hardest places to be in life is to want something for someone more than they want it for themselves. But what humbles you when you're in that space is you're reminded that God feels like that always. I don't want good for my life more than God wants it for me. God's desires for me are stronger than my desires for myself. 
And so we pray. We pray. And we tend to the garden of community and we do the simple things over and over again that are supernatural. And we believe that God is not a liar. So pray with me to that end. Um, God, what can we say? Um, what words can we utter to manipulate you to action? You're free. You're free. And so we don't treat prayer as witchcraft to force you to act. But we acknowledge that prayer is conversation expressing where we are. God, where we are, is it a place where we need you God, I'm so glad to be back among us, our church. I, I miss them so much. And I'm just so grateful to be named among your people. God, I think of our city and just the wildness that's happening. I think of the world around us. I think of our individual lives and the consistent feeling of you can't do right or get right and how it overtakes us with shame and every situation and every circumstance screams the truth that we need you. God, where do we respond by crying out to you for help? Would we respond by leaning into courageous humility to bring firewood around our hearts. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen. Um, we're getting ready to enter into a time of communion. Um, I feel like Jeremiah, like weeping prophet right now, like that's kind of the space I feel like I've been in. But communion, reminds us of just what we preached, what we read through the word. Communion is the reminder that sin isn't the strongest entity known to man. God is. And I don't care what sin is overtaking you right now. It is not stronger than God. It is not stronger than you if you are in Christ. There's freedom and there's power. 
And communion reminds us that even though sin stares us at the moment of weakness, there's love that stares right through it, Christ. And so when we take this packaged juice and wafer, we are drawing ourselves back into remembrance that there's a God who knows us deeply, who loves us fully, and whose power is directed towards our good. If you need that this morning, you come and you take it and you find fuel for whatever comes next today. And so at your own leisure, come and Kyler will hand the communion and then we'll come back and dismiss. Self-doubt 
Before we dismiss with our benediction, a few announcements. Um, uh, the first is uh, tonight at 5, um, we have family meeting. And so that email will be going out with the Zoom link um, this afternoon. And so um, a lot happening, a lot of good, a lot of stuff to talk about. And so feel free to um, check your emails and, and make room for that. It's only going to be about 90 minutes. Um, not even that, but we'll see. Um, the other announcement is It Matters, the marriage retreat. Uh, we're super excited about that. So, uh, Crawford and Karen Loritz are going to be down. It's going to be a, a dope time. Um, and then he'll be preaching that Sunday. And so um, we'll get to hear from the bishop. Um, let's close with really this prayer from this passage. Colossians 3, verse 1, it reads like this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Uh, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You are dismissed.
my time I've traveled some roads A rolling stone Nowhere feels like home And I've seen people come then they go And life is just a story of some highs and some lows 